Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? All right, yeah. I tell you what, our worship team, they did an awesome job, didn't they? They did an awesome job. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful this morning for the goodness of God. Amen? For his goodness and for his love. And so, for those that may not know, my name is Derek Mickett. I'm the uh, minister of worship here at Southgate. And uh, so, I just, you know, I just love to brag on my team, whether it's tech, whether it's the people leading us in worship. I'm so thankful for all of the super talented people that we have on the worship team here at Southgate. So can we give them one more hand this morning? So with that being said, it's a good day to be here this morning as it's another day that the Lord has given us to be able to love, serve, and worship King Jesus. And so there's many days that I wake up amazed that God would love me. Anybody else in the room feel that way? Amazed that he would love me even though I mess up, even though I fail, even though I falter, but that he loves me. And I'm thankful for that, that the God of the universe would send his only son to die for my sins. It's mind-blowing and really why we're here this morning, amen? It's why we're in this room and, and maybe you're like, listen, man, I don't know what's going on. I had a friend invite me to church. This is kind of weird. You guys got really excited during the worship time. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so that's okay. Let me tell you, you're in the right place this morning. And I want you to know that, number one, you're here because the person that invited you loves you very much. They love you very much. But also because we have been praying as a church, amen? We've been praying since the first part of January that God would not only move in your heart to come and hear the gospel, but that God would give the church here, our people at Southgate, a heart for the lost and a boldness to invite their neighbors, co-workers, maybe family, and anyone that they meet to come and worship with us. And so that's why we did the Tension Initiative, right? We're praying not only for, for God to do work in our heart, but for God to send laborers, for God to send the lost through the doors of Southgate for us to be able to share about the love of Christ. But now back on Sundays, for me, it's my favorite day of the week. Even though I don't like waking up at 6 a.m., it is my favorite day of the week that, that I get to be with my church family, that I get to be with, with my small group, that I get to lead in corporate musical worship at times. I get to grow deeper in my knowledge of the Bible and God. And at times like today, the opportunity to be behind this pulpit sharing the gospel. I am thankful for that. And so there's truly nothing better than Sundays with you all. And I hope that you feel the same way as God's word is very clear. It's very clear when it comes to gathering as a body of believers and what that means and looks like. And so, you know, I don't want it to be where it's Derek's words here. I want to tell you, this is what God's word says about meeting together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And it'll be up on the screen here. It says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his drawing, or his return, is drawing near. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse speaks volumes about the Lord's expectations when it comes to not only the importance of church attendance, but really being a part of the body here at Southgate. But before we go further into that, I want to just do a quick recap 
I love to always bring people up to speed with what we've been talking about in this series, as I'll be closing it out today. But let's start here with the first week we talked about, we were in the first chapter of Colossians, and we learned about how Jesus shouldn't be an afterthought in the church or our daily lives. Week two, we were in, the, we were in Matthew 16, and we learned the church is a movement empowered by God's promise. Week three, we were in Acts 1-8 and learned about the importance of evangelism in the church. Week four, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and learned that success is found in serving others sacrificially. And so finally, last week, Zach taught out of Matthew chapter 22 where we learned that focusing on God and others is the foundation of a healthy church. And so today, we're going to be talking about unity and community in the church. So we'll be reading out of Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. So if you want to look that up now in your Bible and uh, hold it, or maybe your electronic device, you know, if you want to get there, Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. But before we go into it, I want to set the scene, and let's look a little deeper for a moment at how this letter started. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this at the time, is sitting in prison. Now, that's some perspective, right? Because as we look at this, this is what he's writing to this church. He's, he's writing to give vision, to encourage, and to educate the church of Ephesus. Truly, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul as he writes the words in this letter. And for the first three chapters, he shares about what God has done in Christ. From God's plan, to the believer's salvation, and even the mystery of the gospel. And now a major transition happens here in chapter 4. The letter moves from what God had done to now what Christians should do. So the focus switched, right? And he's writing about how believers should live in response to everything that God has done. So before we read the text this morning, our big idea today is this. Because of what Christ has done, we are called to live in obedience and pursue unity with others. So now let's take time and let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, if you'll read with me. It says here in verse 1, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you right now, God, I just thank you for the day that you have given us, Lord. And I just ask, Father, that in this message that you would just speak in a mighty way, God, that things would come to life as we get into your word and as we break these things down, Father. I thank you for your word and for what it means. So, God, help us now. Help us to focus in this morning, God. We love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So today we're going to break down these verses, okay, into four points. And so the first point is this. Number one, your walk matters. 
Your walk matters. For anyone in the room that's been a Christian for some time, this is something that has been taught and reiterated by teachers and preachers across the nation. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. As it's definitely a biblical truth. But let's really think about this for a moment. You see, I know for me, actions speak louder than words. Words are nice, right? It's, it's good to hear words. They can make us feel good, but they're, but if there's no follow-through to the words, to, the act, to that, they don't hold much weight. I can tell my wife that I love her multiple times a day, but if my actions don't speak that, is it real? Am I being honest? So here's my question for you today. Do your actions speak with Jesus, or do your actions tell another story? But let's go even deeper. I believe integrity is everything when it comes to a real, the real character in an individual. Does the stranger at the grocery store see Jesus in your actions? Does your boss or coworkers see Jesus? Does your tax man? You see, it's one thing to say that you're a Christian, but do your actions speak it louder than your words, or better yet, your Facebook posts? It says in verse 1 of our text, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Worthy of calling. Paul has written this because he knows how important a person's walk is. I mean, look where Paul was and where he is at the point of writing this letter. Okay, a little context here. He went from being a Pharisee. He went from being one of the religious elite to now being shackled and chained in a Roman prison for being a Christian and for sharing the gospel. And I don't know about you, but for me this morning, as it was this week writing this sermon, it really hits, hits home. It really makes me think. Because by today's standards, it seems that we cry foul with the smallest of persecutions. We must remember, guys, Jesus never said it would be easy. It's not going to be easy. And so Paul never changed his walk. He never changed his walk here. And because of this, I guarantee you, the soldiers who guarded him saw Jesus in his actions. As we know, one Philippian jailer was definitely impacted during one of Paul's first stints in prison, right? So it was written in Acts chapter 16. And as I read this, let me first set this stage for you. Paul and Silas, they were imprisoned because Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, had healed a demon-possessed girl who was a fortune teller. And her handlers were furious and had them thrown in prison. And it says here, even worse. So before they were locked up, they were beaten with rods. And Scripture says this, After many blows, they threw them into prison, which I'm sure was pretty literal, right? It was pretty literal. And then to make matters worse, fasten their feet in stocks. But now listen to this. Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They've been beaten with rods by some people. Like when you talk about the Romans, you're talking about people that were excellent at their craft. They were excellent at torture. So they knew the places to hit. They knew the spots to hit that was going to make it more painful than it could ever be. And they're beaten down. And yet it says here, 
They were singing praises. That should be an eye-opener for us, right? But, but let's go further here. And it says in verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. For we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night. And washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now I ask you again, does your, does your walk matter? Does it matter? Because a whole family's life was changed because of the actions of Paul and Silas who were in a worst-case type scenario. And think about this for a moment, man, because I always love to look when I'm reading God's Word. I love to think about today's context. And so imagine, what would, what would people's attitudes be today? You know, when you go back to that Scripture and you look at that first part, and the earthquake happens and it says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. Unfortunately, I feel like in today's time, they would have probably said, do it, right? Or maybe, well, we're not going to say nothing because we're going to be able to get out of here. But no, Paul and Silas, they knew, they knew how precious one soul is. And as far as we know, we don't know that maybe this guy, maybe was one of them that was beating them with a rod, but they still saw mercy. And so with that, it matters. Your walk matters. Students, it matters how you treat others at your school. The new kid, the bully, your teachers when they're not looking. It matters. Adults in the room, it matters how you treat your coworkers, your boss, your spouse, the waitress that served you last night and maybe wasn't quick. It matters. But now, let's look at what else matters this morning. We're going to go to point two, that your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. It really does, but don't take my word for it. Let's look at what God's word says in verses one through three here. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, patience. If these aren't three things that are lacking in our world today. But here is Paul yet again encouraging us to make these things a priority every single day. And it's hard. I mean, you're, you're looking at an individual that's not a very patient person. I'll admit it. 
These three things aren't easy, but it hit me this week. What does the Bible say about L-O-V-E, about love? And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. Look at the screen with me here. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Obviously, love is the key here. And not worldly love, not an I love chocolate kind of love, but a Jesus kind of love that is pure and true. But let's look at verse 3 here as well. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not just that we should strive to, to maintain unity, oh, I guess I'll halfway try, but that we should be eager to do this. Unity's tough, right? It's hard to find unity and really just common ground in 2023. You're either left or right, red or blue, Ford or Chevy, Chipotle or Qdoba, Walmart or Target, Glock or Sig, Xbox or PlayStation, Mexican Villa or any other real Mexican restaurant. <laughs> you must pick a side, right? But here's the thing. You don't have to pick sides. And let me be clear in this this morning. It's, it's okay to have convictions. We should have convictions about things, but, but to shun and to treat an individual or group of people badly because they think differently from you when it comes to the things I listed above is just wrong and very much the opposite of how Jesus commanded and modeled it. Think about it. Man, when it comes to Christians, we're all different, right? We're all different. We all have different preferences. Some people really do love Mexican Villa. Baden, he loves Mexican Villa. But we're all different, but that's okay. That's how God created us. That's how he created us. Unity is key. United we stand, divided we fall. Whether it's a nation, a trade union, a sports team, a marriage, a family, and especially a church body, Solidarity in a group of people being unified is a powerful thing, a world-changing thing. And so it's vital that a church body is united in the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's important. You show me a healthy church, and, and I'll show you a church that is unified as one body in Christ. A church that doesn't struggle with infighting about budget, style of music, the style of preaching, but rather a group of individuals that want God's will and His will only. Now, if you show me a struggling church, you will see that unity is not even on the menu. And if that happens many times, the church will struggle in every aspect of ministry from finances, to infighting, which will then split or even close a church. And what a horrible testimony to the community where that congregation resides. Come awake, church. Unity matters, and it affects everything. Not some things, not this one thing or that one thing, but everything. Your attitude can truly be a game changer in this church. Just as gossip, lack of commitment, and spotty attendance affects things in a bad way, 
being an encourager and, and, and someone that can be counted on to step up and use your gift makes all the difference in advancing the gospel right here at Southgate. And I just want to say, I'm thankful for Southgate. I'm thankful because there are a lot of encouragers. Even just this morning, you know, I did get some jokes about, well, you're dressed nice, you must be preaching, which is, okay, fair game. But I had guys that came and they prayed with me before, before um, Sunday school this morning. They prayed for me because they knew I was going to preach. I'm sure the Melvin Small Group prayed for me. I've had friends and individuals and just, I'm so thankful. And so, know this morning as I say these words, I'm not saying that, that everyone has this problem, but I think it's something that we got to work on, right? It's a, it's a constant thing, as I've shared in the past. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, so it is a daily thing for me to wake up and be like Mary Poppins. You know, Brandy Melvin can do that. I can't. I can't, so I've got to wake up. But it's a process. Unity matters this morning. And so when this church, Southgate, has been at its best, it's because the body was unified. People stepped up, even when it was hard. And let me say that it's those people's shoulders that we stand on this morning. Walden Majors, Daryl Copeland, Elaine Peterson, Bob Dock, Steve Fosler, Marjorie Bandy, Lee Crony, and that's just a few folks of the shoulders that we stand on now as a church. I look around the room this morning, and I see people who have been faithful day in and day out, maybe for years, some for decades. You've been committed not only to this church, but to the Lord, and all to advance the kingdom of God. Selfless people giving of their time, money, and talents to see people of all ages come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And so Zach, you know, he preached last week, and one of the things that he shared was this. He shared that in the life of Southgate, which started back in 1989, on record, there have been 738 salvations. Okay, now. <laughs> That's kind of the response that happened last week. And that's something to celebrate, amen. 738 lives that were changed just here at Southgate. Because of what God did through a committed body of believers who put his will before theirs. Countless rededications, families restored, marriages saved. All because of what the Holy Spirit has done in and through a unified people here at Southgate. Let's look at another set of scriptures where Paul's writing about the unity of the church. And so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's read through this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make any sense or any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, 
how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts, but one body. One body. So what these, scripture, what these scriptures are saying is that every person in this room, no matter the age or gender, plays a part in the body of Southgate Baptist Church, along with the entire body of Christ in the world. The gifts and ability that God has given you matters and was put in you to use it. And this morning, I beg you, use your gift. And if by chance you're not sure what, what your gift is, maybe, do I have some good news for you? As we have a discipleship and assimilation minister on staff that specializes in this and would love to meet with you. Right, Brandy? Right? She'd love to meet with you. Christ, community, commission. Has anybody heard of that yet? Is that new, right? We, we, we hear it every Sunday in the announcement video. We talk about it a lot. It's not just a catchy phrase but what we're trying to do here, to link arms, be put Christ first, and be the church God has called us to be. And all of this to reach a lost and dying world. And let me tell you, we're running out of time. We're meant to live in community with other believers and to actively pursue unity within that community. It's all part of God's plan, which brings me to our next point, number three. His plan matters. Let's look at verse four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now this right here is a, it's a big deal and very important as we begin in verse 4, which plainly states about the one body, which is the church, right? He's talking about the church and one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. That's who he's talking about. And then he goes on to talk about the one hope, which is referring to the Lord returning for the church and eternal life, in which the Holy Spirit assures this great promise. But also for us to remember that one body and one spirit unites us as believers. It unites us. Christ's plan is perfect in every way, shape, and form, and unity plays a big part. The scripture didn't say multiple bodies or multiple spirits or even many hopes. But as you look at the text, the word one is used seven times. Seven times. It's not a coincidence. But Paul is reiterating the power of one. The power of Almighty God. And He is God the Father over all. And not just Americans or just your family or just Southgate. No, He is over all people no matter a person's title, their finances, prestige, or even power. From the lowest to the greatest, he is over all. And I want to be clear this morning that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. His blood paid the price for your sins, past, present, and future. And I want you to know that he has a plan for your life. Do you really think God would create you to do nothing? Absolutely not. He wouldn't do that. And that's why it's so important to seek His will, not just for you, but for this church. Have you prayed that? 
If not ever, my hope is that you'll start today doing just that because His plan matters. I would not be standing up here today without the love, guidance, and wisdom that I received from so many men and women of the faith. You see, and I want you to get this this morning. I want you to hear me. Our faith journeys are not marked by the buildings we find ourselves in on Sunday mornings. They are marked by the people of the church. The teachers who instruct us. The mentors who disciple us. The musicians who lead us in praise. The friends who pray and show up. If you've been in a Christian community for any length of time, you've likely experienced and gotten to know people who are doing these things, who have a purpose. Hear me this morning. You have a purpose. And it's part of God's plan. And it matters. And so finally, we look at our last point, which is number four. His grace matters. His grace matters. Let's read verse 7 together. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. His grace matters this morning, and it's life-changing. His amazing grace changes everything for those that ask Him to forgive them of their sins and make Him Lord of their life. And some of you might be thinking this morning, what does that have to do with unity? Friends, it has everything to do with unity, since this comes from the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer this morning, that same Holy Spirit in you is what changes you, keeps you in check, and convicts you when you're living in a way that isn't pleasing to God. I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for Christ forgiving me. If the Holy Spirit wasn't in me. You know, a lot of times people be like, oh man, Derek, we love you, blah, blah, blah. And I appreciate that. But I think about it and I think, man, if it wasn't for God, they would all not like me. Because I, I let me tell you this morning, being honest, the good that you see in my life isn't Derek, okay? But it's the Lord. It's God. It's Him living through me. He's the one that, that changes my heart. I mean, the Derek heart wants to go fishing and eat chocolate and do other things, right? But the Holy Spirit, man, it puts that burn in me to go visit people at the hospital, to, to make friends with folks in the congregation, to be praying for this church daily. All the things that I do, it's, it's because of what He does in my heart. So I can't take credit for it. And I want you to know this morning, it kind of works the same way for you all, right? The good that we see in you, those that are believers in this room this morning, it all it is all Him. It says in Isaiah 64, 6a, it says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. That's what our righteousness looks like. But God's righteousness, the Holy Spirit living in us, it's a beautiful thing. Yet because of God's grace and the blood that Jesus shed, we're able to go to God Almighty and He does just what is asked by King David in Psalm 51. Now I want you to see this as we're getting close to the end here. In this it's written, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. 
And he goes on in verse 10 and he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Just as David prayed, may that be our prayer every single day. To have a pure heart and a steadfast spirit that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Not good works, not because you've done a bunch of attaboys, but because of His blood. Because of what He has done for us. You see, His grace matters, and because of what Christ has done, we're called to live in obedience and pursue unity with others. So this morning, as the worship team makes their way forward, where are you at today? Are you living in a manner worthy of your calling? By pursuing unity and a spirit of humanity, we can unleash the indispensable power of the local church to grow and change us into more Christ-like people through godly community. So let's look at our points one more time. Your walk matters. Number two, your attitude matters because His plan matters and His grace matters. And so, because of what Christ has done, we are called to live in obedience and pursue unity with others. Would you bow your heads this morning? I want to take a moment for everyone in this room and watching online to examine your heart. Examine your heart. Are you letting Him lead in your life? Are you a unifier or divider? Have you ever asked Jesus to be Lord of your life? Maybe you're here this morning and this is all brand new. Well, man, I am so glad that you're here today. And it's very easy. This is what you do. God's word is very clear in Romans 10, 9, and 10. And it says this, that if you confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. So it's that easy. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you ask him to be Lord of your life, that's what it takes. And so if you've never done this, I want to encourage you this morning to take that first step and come to the altar and give your life to Him. And if you're scared, take a friend by the hand. As I know, they would love to come up with you, and, and I, along with the staff and deacons, are in the room and would love to pray with you. And maybe this morning you have a burden, or maybe you need to get some things right with God. Maybe recommit your life to Christ. Come to the altar. Don't wait and put it off but give it to God today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you right now, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would move in this place, that you would move in hearts, God. Lord, as the band begins to play, Father, I pray that you would just stir in us, God, that, that we wouldn't hold back, but, Father, that we would take that first step. Lord, maybe for some in this room that have been holding on to something for a long time, God, I pray that they give it to you today. 
God, that they give it to you today. And Lord, help us to be a church that is unified in every way, shape, and form. That God, that we are aligned with you. And only you. So Lord, move in this place. We ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so if you'll stand to your feet this morning, as the altars open, I want to encourage you, don't wait till they start singing, but you come forward, you get things right with God.